This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. For too long now, the American people have allowed their personal prejudices and politics to cloud their judgment and render them incapable of seeing that the treatment being doled out by the government's lethal enforcers has remained consistent, no matter the threat. Take Roger Stone, one of Donald Trump's longtime supporters, for example. This is a guy accused of witness tampering, obstruction of justice, and lying to Congress. As far as we know, this guy is not the kingpin of a violent mob or a drug laundering scheme. He's been charged with a political crime. So what does the FBI do? They send 29 heavily armed agents in 17 vehicles to carry out a SWAT-style raid on Stone's Florida home just before dawn on January 25, 2019. They pound on his door, point automatic weapons at him, and terrorize his wife and his dogs. Overkill? Sure it is. Yet another example of government overreach and brutality. Definitely. But here's the thing. While Tucker Carlson and Chris Christie and other Trump apologists appear shocked that law enforcement personnel would stage a military assault against an unarmed 66-year-old man who has been charged with a nonviolent crime, this is nothing new. Indeed, this is blowback. One more vivid example of how the government's short-sighted use of immoral, illegal, and unconstitutional tactics become dangerous weapons turned against we the people. To be clear, this is far from the first time a SWAT team has been employed in a nonviolent scenario. Nationwide, SWAT teams routinely invade homes, break down doors, kill pets, they always shoot the dogs first, including poodles and chihuahuas, damage furnishings, terrorize families, and wound or kill those unlucky enough to be present during the raid, including children. SWAT teams have been employed to address an astonishingly trivial array of so-called criminal activity or mere community nuisance angry dogs, domestic disputes, improper paperwork filed by an orchid farmer, and misdemeanor marijuana possession to give a brief sampling. In some instances, SWAT teams are even employed in full armament to perform routine patrols. As the role of paramilitary forces had expanded to include involvement in nondescript police work targeting nonviolent suspects, the mere presence of SWAT team units has actually injected a level of danger and violence into police-citizen interactions that was not present as long as these interactions were handled by tradition and traditional civilian officers. There are few communities without a SWAT team today. In 1980, believe it or not, there were roughly 3,000 SWAT team-style raids in the U.S. that occurred annually. Incredibly, that number has since grown to more than 80,000 SWAT team raids per year. Where this becomes a problem of life and death for Americans is when these militarized SWAT teams are assigned to carry out routine law enforcement tasks. No longer reserved exclusively for deadly situations, SWAT teams are now increasingly being deployed for relatively routine police matters such as serving a search warrant, with some SWAT teams being sent out as many as five times a day. Police in both Baltimore and Dallas have used SWAT teams to bust up poker games. In Arizona, a SWAT team was used to break up an alleged cockfighting ring. An Atlanta SWAT team raided a music studio, allegedly out of concern that it might have been involved in illegal music piracy. 
A Minnesota SWAT team raided the wrong house in the middle of the night, handcuffed the three young children, held the mother on the floor at gunpoint, shot the family dog, and then forced the handcuffed children to sit next to the carcass of their dead pet and bloody pet for more than an hour while they searched the home. These incidences are just the tip of the iceberg. This is what happens when paramilitary forces are used to conduct ordinary policing operations such as executing warrants on nonviolent defenders. Unfortunately, general incompetence, collateral damage, killing innocent citizens, property damage, and so on, and botched raids tend to go hand-in-hand with an overuse of paramilitary forces. In some cases, cops misread the address on the warrant. In others, they simply barge into the wrong house or even the wrong building. In another subset of cases, police conduct a search of a building where the suspect no longer resides. They're in the wrong place. SWAT teams have even on occasion conducted multiple sequential raids on wrong addresses or executed search warrants despite the fact that the suspect is already in police custody. Police have also raided homes on the basis of mistaking the presence or scent of legal substances for drugs. Incredibly, these substances have included tomatoes, sunflowers, fish, elderberry bushes, hibiscus, and ragweed plants. Believe that or not. Unfortunately, the shock and awe tactics utilized by many SWAT teams only increases the likelihood that someone will get hurt or be shot dead. Ayanna Jones is dead because of a SWAT team raid gone awry. The seven-year-old was killed after a Detroit SWAT team, searching for a suspect, launched a flashbang grenade into her family's apartment, broke through the door and opened fire, hitting the little girl who was asleep on the living room couch. The cops weren't even in the right apartment. The guy they were looking for was up several levels. The problems inherent in these situations are further compounded by the fact that SWAT teams are granted no-not warrants at high rates by clueless judges. This means that the warrants themselves are rendered practically meaningless. This sorry state of affairs is made even worse by U.S. Supreme Court cases that have essentially done away with the need for a no-not warrant altogether, giving the cops authority to disregard the protections afforded American citizens by the Fourth Amendment. In the process, Americans are rendered altogether helpless and terror-stricken as a result of these confrontations with the police. Indeed, terrorizing is a mild term to describe the effect on those who survive such vigilante tactics. Yet, this type of terrorizing activity is characteristic of the culture that we have created. Indeed, as I document in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, it's increasingly evident that militarized police armed with weapons, a war, who are empowered to carry out pre-dawn raids on our homes, shoot pets, kill citizens, and terrorize families, have not made America any safer or freer. In fact, it has moved us closer to a Nazi-type regime. Time to wake up, folks. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. To join the resistance, visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford Press Alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal.
Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, we can make America free again.